Welcome to Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. We're your hosts, Tim and Ruth Olson, licensed marriage and family therapists and trauma experts. We provide wisdom for personal growth and healthy relationships. Stick with us and you'll gain practical tools and insights that will help you be a healthier and happier you. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast today. Today's subject is going to be motivation. And what we're going to be doing is reviewing some of the ideas and theories behind motivation to help you kind of work at kicking off this new year in the most healthy way possible. And I think a lot of times people look at motivation as this elusive emotion that they're trying to chase down. And they want to feel this positive sense of emotion drawing them towards their activity. While emotions play a big role in how easy it is for you to follow through with the activities you want to do, they're not a necessary part for you to do the things that you're looking to do. A great example of this is Ruth and I, we just started doing cold plunges in the morning. And believe me, I do not have a lot of emotional draw and desire to jump into an ice cold tank of water first thing in the morning when I wake up. But the thing that gets me to do that in the morning is I feel great afterwards. So even though the action is painful and uncomfortable, the end result is enough for me to want to engage in that. And experience that discomfort because then I experience for a longer period of time the benefits of doing so. The first theory we want to look at to help explain motivation is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. This theory suggests that people are motivated to fulfill their basic physiological and safety needs first before moving on to higher level needs like love, esteem, and self-actualization. And although Maslow himself never created a pyramid to represent the hierarchy of needs, that's often how it's shown today. So just to quickly run through the hierarchy of needs, they are physiological needs, safety needs, love and belonging, esteem, and self-actualization. So there are different models of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but when you look at this five-stage model, the first four levels are often referred to as the deficiency needs, and the top level is known as the growth need. So the first four levels, deficiency needs, they often arise due to deprivation, and they're said to motivate people when they're unmet. So when you look at physiological needs, air, water, food, shelter, sleep, clothing, when there's a deprivation or a deficiency of it, people are motivated to meet those needs. Same for safety needs, their personal security, employment, resources, health, property, Love and belonging is friendship, intimacy, family, a sense of connection. Esteem is respect, status, recognition, strength, or freedom. Those are all the deficiency needs. Whereas the top one, self-actualization, it's a desire to become the most that we can become. And so this theory basically says that if your basic physiological needs aren't met and there's a deficiency, you're not even thinking of the next level up, which is your safety needs. And if you're not safe, you don't have those needs met, then you're not really concerned with friendship and intimacy and belonging. So your motivation is to meet those basic, basic needs before being able to even think about the next stage up. So for someone who doesn't have the basic physiological needs of food or shelter or water, they're not thinking of how can I have a sense of community or connection with people? They're thinking of how can I meet these needs to survive? How can I live my daily life to get the food that I need? Or even how can I live in this next hour and meet the needs that I have? 
So with the theory that Maslow proposes is basically in order for you to achieve a higher goal, such as getting a higher paid job or moving to another state or engaging into philanthropic activities, basically you need to make sure that your bottom categories are taken care of. I need to make sure I have all the food that I need. I need to make sure that I'm safe and have shelter. I need to make sure that I'm connected and have social relationships with people. So once you have those social connections, then you can achieve those higher esteem kind of a thing where I'm more motivated to do this. I want to start my own business. I want to do this. I want to do that. But you have to have those base levels accomplished first before you can move on to that esteem phase where you're really working at bettering kind of your situation in life. The other ones, the bottom three, those ones, according to Maslow, need to be met first before you can really work on these higher levels of goals. The next theory is self-determination. And in this theory, it seeks to explain how people can engage in certain behaviors and be able to maintain this motivation over time. Now, this one's a little more simple than Maslow's hierarchy of needs. In this one, there's three basic psychological needs. There's autonomy, competence, and relatedness. For autonomy, that's basically your ability to have self-determination where you can make decisions and choices and you're not forced to do something. So I think a lot of times people struggle with having a job because a lot of times when you have a job, you don't have a lot of self-determination. Your boss tells you when to show up. Your boss tells you how much they're going to pay you. And even if you work extraordinarily hard, you might not earn any more money and even if you're the best employee out on the floor, you might not get a promotion. So you don't have a lot of decision-making capabilities as an employee, which is why I think a lot of people really struggle with their job. They're not happy at it, and it's because they don't have this level of autonomy. Now, the other psychological need for this one is competency. The desire and need to feel like I'm good at something, I understand how to do it, I can accomplish that. Other people might even look up to me or revere my capabilities and abilities in there. And that is something that a job can accomplish, where you have a job and you can get very good at it and people can notice the skills and abilities that you have. But if you don't have that autonomy, you only have one-third of the motivational factor according to self-determination. The third factor is relatedness. So this refers to the need to feel connected and belong to a social group and communities. Your behaviors that you might exhibit, you'd be motivated to do that because you're looking for this connectedness to these people in your group. Now, as you can see, when you listen to these three, there definitely is some overlap with Maslow's hierarchy of needs. There's a couple that are very similar. I think one of the things that's kind of important to know about motivation is that this is a multifaceted approach. There are different things that can affect and help motivation, but I also think people are very different and different factors can be very motivating for one person, but then also simultaneously not very motivating for somebody else. Now, according to self-determination, if you're not getting these three needs met, you're more likely to be unmotivated and that will cause you to be more likely to engage in unhealthy or self-defeating behaviors along the way. The third theory that we want to address is the expectancy theory. And this theory proposes that motivation is influenced by an individual's belief in their ability to successfully complete a task, as well as their perception of the rewards that will come about or will result because of their effort. So when we look at the motivation of employees, the expectancy theory states that motivation is an outcome of three things, valence, expectancy, and instrumentality. 
So balance is basically how much an individual wants a reward. And it's the expected satisfaction that they'll receive, not the actual satisfaction that they receive. So it's how much that individual expects to feel good and be satisfied because of that accomplishment. The second piece of the employee's motivation is expectancy, which is basically their belief in their ability to successfully complete the task. And expectancy is influenced by factors like having the appropriate skills and being able to get the information and the resources that they need in order to complete the job. And the third, instrumentality, that's basically just the belief that the performance will lead to a reward. So knowing that if I perform this well, then there'll be a reward at the end of all of this. So to sum up the expectancy theory, it's this idea that the individual's motivation to engage in a behavior is highest when they believe that they have the ability to successfully complete the task, that the outcomes of their efforts will be beneficial, and those outcomes are valued by that person. So on the other hand, when that person lacks motivation, it's likely due to their individual lack of confidence in their ability to succeed or seeing that whatever the result is isn't beneficial to them or it's not something that they really desire or value. So when we relate that to motivation, it's important to set goals that we have the ability to achieve, but also that we set goals that we're interested in and that we see value in. And finally, setting goals that we know will pay off and that there's a reward at the end of all of it. So the fourth and final theory is self-efficacy. Now, this theory explains how an individual's belief in their ability to successfully complete a task or goal influences their motivation and behavior. So what this is basically saying is if you have a very, very high goal, but you have zero belief that you can achieve that high goal, you're not going to get off the couch to go do it. Because why bother? It's an impossible goal. But also there's this interesting part about this too is that The more times you have successfully achieved goals in the past also changes and alters your belief system in how hard of a task you can accomplish in the future. So if you've had a couple of small wins, you're going to now be able to set more medium level goals. If you've been able to have a couple of medium level wins, then you're going to be able to set some higher level goals and be more motivated to actually go out and do those things. Now, it's not to say you couldn't start off with having very few wins and then set a high goal and then still achieve that goal, but that feeling of motivation or desire to press forward is going to be less because you haven't seen yourself be successful. I think this is a really interesting thing with parenting. So a lot of times parents really struggle watching their kids have a difficult time doing something. But when they have a difficult time doing something and then they're able to, on their own, successfully accomplish that goal, it can assist them with feeling more confident in the future to then work on a harder task and then have the confidence knowing I can figure this out in the future. So you have to be really careful as a parent to not stifle your kid's ability to learn to do something because it's sad or uncomfortable to watch them struggle or maybe even fail, but then come back at that task again later and possibly be successful later because that's building up this psychological motivation for them in the future to be able to take on harder and harder tasks and then be able to be successful at those more difficult tasks. But I think also inversely, if you give people or if you give your kids too hard of tasks that they are unable to accomplish, then that actually decreases their self-efficacy and it makes them believe more and more they're incompetent and incapable 
of doing things. So then it caused them to be less and less likely to do those things. So if you have very low motivation or very low self-confidence, starting off with just the small and simple tasks, I'm just going to do a little thing. I run into this all the time with clients. They're like, oh my gosh, my house is a disaster. How am I ever going to clean it? And I say, well, just start off, do five minutes, pick a room, pick a section in that room and say, I'm just going to work on this for five minutes. And they start and they work on it for five minutes. They observe the success that they've had in that small area for five minutes, and then they feel more motivated. And most of the time, instead of just sitting there for five minutes, they might end up doing it for 10 or 15 minutes where they're working on it because now they've seen the success, then they're more motivated to keep going on further. And part of why they continue on longer is that a lot of times the hardest part is starting. Once you start and get going, it's easier to continue. So if you're familiar with the work of Mel Robbins, she has several different talks on this. And one of them is to just start. And so in your brain, just count down. Five, four, three, two, one, go. And at that point, you get up and you start doing whatever it is. So Tim, at the beginning of this, was talking about the cold plunges that we're doing. And there's so many different benefits to it. But the hardest part really is getting in. And like you all know, getting into a cold pool, you can't get in slowly. You need to just jump in. And it's that same kind of idea Whereas, if I were to slowly get into the pool and put my toe in and then my foot, there is so much time to talk myself out of it. But if I just jump in, I've already started it and I'm already cold. So it's easier just to continue and get done the time that we've set up and then get out. And then I reap all the benefits for the rest of the day. Also, another really interesting thing about this is the longer you give yourself to think about the difficult tasks that you have to accomplish, the more your brain is going to try to convince you not to do that task. So there's been days this week where I've had some time on my hands and I'm standing outside contemplating getting into the cold plunge and just dreading every moment of it. But then today we were on a time crunch. I didn't have time to sit out there and just wait and dread. It was now or never. I got to get in now or I'm not going to be able to get in. And so I was able to just jump in and it was a much better experience because the cold is difficult enough on its own, but then when you add the psychological dread to it, it makes it even more difficult. But I wasn't able to have that because I just didn't have the time to sit there and wait is either I'm getting in or I'm not. And in my mind, it was already predetermined. I'm getting in. Just how long am I going to torture myself emotionally over this? And so I hopped in, did my time, got out, and it was much easier and better than dreading that task. And so just like Ruth was saying, going back to that Mel Robbins thing, just don't give yourself enough time to convince yourself to say no. Just start doing the task immediately. So we presented you guys with four different theories behind motivation. Now, I think each one of them has their own valid points. But I think because, like I said, people are very individualistic, that what you need to do is when you're listening to this podcast, just figure out which one of these sounded the best to me, which do I like the most, and then go about trying to practice and implement that in your own life. And then see, is that thing helping you to be more successful? Or if you feel like, you know what, man, actually, I really kind of don't like that aspect or I don't like coming at it from that degree, then try one of the other ones and start implementing and trying that to see, is this the thing that's going to motivate me? I always like to hear motivational speakers and you hear a lot of different perspectives from a lot of different people. And I don't think it's necessarily that one person is right or wrong. It's that people are just so varied that you just have to figure out what actually works for you. All right, guys, thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next one. 
Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. If you enjoyed this podcast or found it helpful, we'd love for you to take some time and leave us a review on Apple Podcast. If you have a question or a topic you'd like discussed in future episodes, visit our Facebook group, Mr. and Mrs. Therapy Podcast, and let us know. Disclaimer, although we are mental health providers, this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide diagnosis or treatment. Please seek professional help if you're struggling with persistent mental health issues, chronic marital issues, or call the National Suicide Hotline at 988 if you are contemplating suicide.